0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, the biggest show on the planet continues to checkmate the competition. I've got a follow-up
1: review of the Queen's Gambit. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Kurt Russell is back as Santa in the chronic What Calls of Christmas, part two. I'll tell you whether it's an amazing gift or a lump of coal. Plus, a bittersweet
0: week for me as I said goodbye to the brothers Winchester. I'll offer some final thoughts on the final episode Supernatural.
1: There is a new Christmas sequel out on Netflix right now: The Christmas Chronicles Part Two. You're on hallowed ground here. We're about to witness something that no one else on Earth has ever seen before.
0: Let's see if you can handle this. Ah! Guess this is your lucky day, you ah! cat.
1: Welcome to the North Pole. Santa! (laughs) Kate Pierce. How did you get here? You and Jack are supposed to be on vacation with your family.
0: Our shuttle fell into this wormhole. Have a nice trip.
1: Are you Mrs. Claus? Uh Uh-huh. What is that thing? Here's an F. You're in Santa's village. The real one. The Christmas Chronicles Part 2, starring Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, Goldie Hawn as Mrs. Claus, and of course a bunch of kids. This is obviously a sequel to The Christmas Chronicles Part 1, which came out two years ago and while not an instant holiday classic, was a decent enough watch. Can't really say the same about this new one, though. The movie follows little Kate, a true believer on another Christmas adventure. She's in Cancun for the holidays, much to her chagrin. She'd much rather be somewhere snowy, not in a beach at the equator they never say how old she is she must be about 11 though her older teenage brother is there along with their mom and her mom's boyfriend is there too along with his son who is a couple of years younger than kate his name is jack the mom's boyfriend by the way is tyrese gibson who we know and love as roman in the fast and the furious movies it's weird seeing him as a father figure or just as a responsible adult grown-up in general but he's always welcome on my tv in whatever i'm watching besides not feeling the christmas spirit in sunny mexico Kate's also not impressed that her widowed mother has this new boyfriend and seems to be headed toward getting remarried. She decides that she's going to fly back home all by herself to, you know, show her displeasure with everything. Her plan, though, is sorted by Tyrese's son, Jack, not giving her any space to get away with it. And then a devious ex-elf planning to destroy Christmas. This elf, or used to be an elf, is a teenager now. And like I said, he used to be an elf. His name is Bell Schnickel, yes, the same name as the dirty rural Santa that Dwight played on The Office, but not the same character. Bell Schnickel here was a cute little elf. The movie is full of little CGI elves, but he turned out to be a naughty elf. And his punishment for that was that he had to become a human. So now he's a teenage boy. Now, he's also concocted a revenge plan to destroy Christmas because he's so upset about everything. He knows Kate is friends with Santa, so he uses her to try to get to him. Circumstances, circumstances. Kate and Jack end up at the North Pole and have to help Santa save Christmas. This involves a trip to Turkey, also a trip through time to Boston. And I guess it makes sense, but the more I think about it, the less sure I am that it makes sense. Mrs. Claus stays behind with Jack because there's a problem with all the elves and with one of the reindeer. Now, Injuring a reindeer seems like a bad move. I mean, my jaw dropped. I'm not going to tell you exactly what happened. Maybe kids aren't as sensitive anymore, but it felt absurdly harsh to me. Mrs. Claus is also Mrs. Exposition in this movie. She doesn't really have a personality. All she's there to do is just to say what's happening and then explain stuff. And how the heck can you cast Goldie Hawn and end up with no personality. She is all personality. Literally everything Mrs. Claus says, though, is just relaying information to Jack and us, the audience, and it's too much. Everything is something. There's so many rules, so much magic. Every scene introduces the enchanted this or the mystical that. It'll make your head spin. And I don't want to say bad things about kid actors, so... I'll say some bad things about special effects. The CGI is often terrible in this. I'm not sure if it was a cost thing or a time thing or both, but for 2020 a lot of it just isn't good. Every now and then, though, there is something really great to look at, like Santa's Village. And Kurt Russell as Santa Claus is almost enough to make this movie a winner. I think he's really good as uh, the jolly old Saint Nick there. If you were you know, turned off by how cranky or aggressive he was in the first movie, and that was something I think they heard from a lot of parents. I know I heard it from people. He's much softer in this movie so they sort of erase that edge off them but the fun of the first movie was the fish out of water stuff it was Santa having an adventure in the real world whereas this movie is mostly the kids having an adventure at the North Pole I think you know I guess small kids might enjoy this movie but I can't imagine it's destined to become a holiday classic I won't be returning to it two couch cushions out of five for the Christmas Chronicles part two Brett that is an interesting thing that people were upset by Kurt
0: Russell's performance, or I guess the maybe the way that the character was written in yeah. that first movie. I think that's why he was such a natural fit for the role. Yeah.
1: Oh, he's got he's got well, he's got like the kind of a raspy edge to his voice, right? That he can when he barks stuff out, he's he it just, he just it comes so naturally to him. But I don't know. I guess a lot of people would just they, they just want their Santas to be jolly all the time.
0: Yeah. And I, I suppose too, that's a tough one to. To nail down right because I think I appreciate them giving a sort of a different version than what we're used yeah. to of Santa because it made it it was something different for the grown-ups in the audience to enjoy. But at the same time, a movie about Santa or anything that includes Santa Claus, unless it's bad Santa, that's clearly not for kids. <laughs> I, I think they they have to take that into consideration as well. So I suppose it's good that they 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 uh soften it up a little bit. Surprisingly, this movie's doing better on Rotten Tomatoes than that first one. The first one was sixty seven percent and this new one is sixty-eight percent. That doesn't mean that all of the review it's getting more glowing reviews. It might just mean they had one review that was like where they probably said, Yeah, this movie's okay. Cause, yeah. Because that's the thing with Rotten Tomatoes. Like a, a movie can have a 96% score where every single review is three out of five, right?
1: Right and it, yeah, exactly. And and also, I mean, also maybe it's me being grinchy a little bit. But the another factor could just be, you know, the pandemic and the, the what qualifies as entertainment has diff, changed greatly this year. And so going back to something sort of familiar with Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, maybe that's just putting a smile on people's faces no matter what. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed that first one. I didn't love it.
0: I, but I thought it was a fun little movie. The fact that it was on... It was, if it was a theatrical movie, then I think I would have hated it because I would have thought, well, this is cheap and this is kind of silly. The, the special effects, I remember being impressed uh, in certain spots and I think it was also the same thing. I thought, no, that's that's pretty bad CGI. But again, this is a Netflix movie, so just take it for what it's worth. It's got Kurt Russell in it. That's cool. That's good enough. And Kurt Russell with Goldie Hawn. They have such great chemistry. So it's neat to see them on screen again.
1: Yeah, that was. There's a couple of shots where they were just them giving each other a look, or he blows her a kiss, or something like that. And just because of the real life connotations, like they're, I was thinking of that. They're one of the celebrity couples, A, that people always have always enjoyed all the way through. You know how, like, people would get all, uh, you know, just. Attitude about like you know J Lo and Ben Affleck or something <laughs> like that. That's what I was thinking of. Nobody ever thinks that about Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Everybody loves them. They clearly love each other. They've also lasted longer than almost every other celebrity couple you could think of.
0: That's pretty cool. I would also point out as well that uh, I don't think I watched any Christmas movies last year I was in a particularly grinchy mood and this year just because of what's happening I was kind of feeling grinchy again but I read something I think last week that says science tells you that you should put up your Christmas tree early because it will force some happiness out of you I guess seeing the lights triggers something in your brain and it brings you back to a happier time in your life or potentially happier time in your life and so I think I'll put up my Christmas trees because I, I don't have uh, a big tree. I just have these two tiny little like foot lo- foot tall trees. So I'll put those yeah. in the corner and I'll try to watch some Christmas movies, including this one. I don't know. Like I said, I, I didn't love that first one, but I really enjoyed Kurt Russell's performance. So it might be nice to go back and check out the
1: Christmas Chronicles. Absolutely. And uh, I agree with whatever the scientists are saying about the trees and lights and stuff. I don't have a tree either, but I got I put up some lights for... I never put up lights in my little condo, but this year I did, and I've already been enjoying it. Turn off all the other lights, just have the glow of the Christmas lights on when I'm watching Christmas movies. And I, I'm, I'm going to watch a bunch this year. I tend to sort of go every second year for a lot of those movies. Some of them I don't watch every year, but so I think... I think i'm gonna watch i've listened to a podcast about home alone recently i'd like to rewatch that one i haven't seen that in a while so hopefully that that'll just show up on tv sooner or later <laughs> and i'll watch that it was the 30th anniversary uh recently that movie oh my and God. it's the same director as the christmas chronicles uh chris columbus
0: oh look at that look at that yeah. yeah i can't believe 30 years that's a classic i have to watch home alone every year i think it ends up be- inevitably being the one movie even more so than Die Hard. <laughs> and i know uh i'm not going to reopen the debate on that but yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a time where i was watching that every year and it's gotten to the point now where i think i've seen Die Hard too many times and i need to give it a break but there's something about home alone i don't know i just just adore that film Up next, a second take on The Queen's Gambit You're listening to The Couch Potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes You watched it a few weeks ago, Jeff I finally got on board with the latest Netflix smash hit The Queen's Gambit Tell the readers of life how it feels And to be a girl Among all those men I don't mind it Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. You're an orphan, Beth. I'm fine being alone. I feel safe in an entire world of just 64 squares. Creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter. Genius and Madness. So, if you're not familiar with this show, it's about a young chess prodigy's rise from an orphanage to the world stage. It's adapted from a novel by Walter Tevis from 1983. Anya Taylor Joy plays the chess prodigy in question in this seven episode limited series, which has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. When I first saw the show was coming, I didn't see the trailer, I just read about it, and I thought, "Oh, a show about chess, hey? Eh? Yeah, I'll get I'll get right on that." I don't know why I dismissed it, because I like chess. So after your rave review, Jeff, I was definitely curious. I just had some other stuff to finish watching, but The Queen's Gambit was next, especially seeing just how popular it is and how many people are raving about it. And I will now join that throng of people. Just wow, 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 wow. What a great show. It was just such an amazing journey watching her grow up from being a kid, learning chess in a basement with the orphanage janitor, into this young woman who strikes fear into the hearts of chess men everywhere. And it was just funny seeing the... Well, it was unfortunate, but seeing the way that they treated her at times because she was a woman. I think she was asked at one news conference, what do you think of uh, you know accusations that you're over-glamorizing or you're too glamorous for the game of chess? Why? She's, what Because she's a woman? That just makes her too glamorous. That was just stupid because she likes to wear pretty dresses. But that's, I guess, the the time that it was set in. It was set in the 60s, and that's the game. I mean, it's dominated by men. Uh, The visuals, extraordinary. It's a beautiful show. And the way they show her playing the matches out in her head by projecting the images onto the ceiling was so impressive. I just found that effect uh, mesmerizing. And I think, Jeff, you touched on that in your review, did you not?
1: Yeah, that was that was really cool. It was uh, you know, especially well at the beginning anyways, you know, she'd take that pill and that's what would like set it off. And it's just like, wow, that was it's a genius thing to think of putting that up there and then to pull it off the way they did. It was uh Too bad the Christmas Chronicles uh, Part 2 couldn't have borrowed some of that CGI budget from the chess show.
0: (laughs) I liked how there were square patterns everywhere to sort of uh, mimic a chessboard, whether it was people's clothes, like the patterns on their clothes, or the tile on the wall. It was a subtle effect, but it really showed that this is her whole world. No matter where she goes, there is a chessboard. And the ending, just wow, is so emotional. Such an emotional episode. It was just triumphant television and the way that they incorporated her addiction issues. You know, she's this genius who, through no real fault of her own, I think, I mean, obviously she fostered her own addiction, but the way that it began, I don't, you certainly can't blame her for that. And the success this show is enjoying, along with the game of chess uh, overall, like Netflix revealed this week, The Queen's Gambit is its most successful scripted limited series to date with 62 million member accounts tuning into the show in the first 28 days. They also say that the show made the top 10 in 92 countries, ranked number one in 63 countries, including Canada. It's now number two in Canada. The Crown is number one. Uh, For now, The Witcher Season 1 remains Netflix's biggest original series overall in that first 28-day window, with 76 million households taking a look at the title, at least based on the two-minute minimum viewing methodology that uh, i don't really like the way netflix releases its numbers (laughs) tiger king by the way that was sampled by 64 million member accounts so that's still its biggest limited series overall but yeah 100 on rotten tomatoes i just loved this show and chess sales are going through the roof chess books are going through the roof i guess the original novel is seeing a surge in its sales and uh i i know that the chess in this was so well portrayed and it also reminded me of why i like chess but why i never play chess because i suck at it for one and holy smokes the amount of theory and knowledge and study that goes into being a world-class chess player there just is not enough room in my uh, brain to to carry all of that i'm way too dumb
1: yeah, so same here. Like I, I said when I reviewed the show that I, I downloaded an app right afterwards, and I played two games and lost them really quickly, and just deleted the app because I was like, <laughs> this is I don't need this in my life. It's too hard. It's too stressful. I'm not starting something new like that now. You know what is really cool about that, and like you said, there'll be all sorts of you know chessboards under the tree for Christmas this year. It, it's nice. We were worried after Game of Thrones left. It's like, well, is that the end of it for everybody? Sort of getting on board with the same show generally at the same time because everything's parsed out so differently now and nobody has to watch anything on anyone's schedule but to have something like this have that much of an impact in the culture to have this monoculture item back in the headlines that's that's pretty cool cool and you know could happen again you never know when these things pop up it's kind of fun
0: Indeed. So if you haven't watched The Queen's Gambit yet on Netflix, check it out. It is outstanding television. I won't be shocked if this cleans up at the Emmys for Best Limited Series. In a moment, (sighs) I had to say goodbye this week. Supernatural. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Just one week ago on Thursday, I said goodbye to one of my favorite television shows ever. (coughs)
1: Thursday, it's the two-hour Supernatural series finale event. Are you crying? What? No. See some of the most memorable moments. You know, I just want to say thank you. You love this. That's enough. And watch
0: how it all ends. Judgment Day is
1: coming for you. Here's uh, to running into you guys on the other side. Supernatural two-hour series finale event just got to let this go a second
0: be peace when you are done. classic song Lay your weary head to rest. don't you cry no more ah supernatural debuted on september 13th 2005 on what was then called the wb lasted 15 seasons 327 episodes Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki played Dean and Sam Winchester, brothers who hunt monsters, demons, and save the world repeatedly. When I started watching this show, uh, I think four seasons had already passed. And this girl I was dating at the time, I think this was in either late 2008 to early 2009, uh, she said she was she was taking this class in university about fairy tales. And in that class her professor brought in a couple of episodes of supernatural because they cut sometimes they do characters like from fairy tales and stuff and and she says i think you'd like this show and so we she got a hold of the, the first few episodes of season 1 and i i remember seeing commercials for the show on tv and i always thought ah eh, that looks like it's for teenagers or whatever i don't care i'm not going to bother but she insisted we watch it so I said, "All right, I'll, I'll check it out with you." I never imagined how much I would enjoy it. I, I how hooked I got. I was just obsessively hooked. So I think when we started watching it, we were a couple of months out before season five started, and uh, so we we ended up renting the DVDs for the first four seasons, and I think season five. May have actually repeated itself over the doesn't whatever timeline doesn't matter. Point is, I was hooked on this show, and I can't believe it ended up going 15 seasons because it was only supposed to be five seasons max. You know that that was the 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 end game. It was the they're going to tell the story of how they averted the apocalypse, and that was going to be the end of the series. And the boys were going to go on and have movie careers, and uh, the CW ended up renewing the show and it just became a show that the network never wanted to let go of and it became the show, the show that I would watch first. If there was an episode on the PVR I would watch Supernatural. Sometimes I'd forget I'd come home with plans to watch show A or show B and then I'd open the PVR and see oh my gosh there's Supernatural so it would like blow up every plan that I had for that evening but you know the Winchesters weren't just A weekly companion for me they're kind of like they're kind of like family and i'm really going to miss them although i have 15 seasons i can watch at any time i want that's available on prime so i can go start over although i am kind of hoping there's a box set of blu-rays for this maybe i'll get my hands on that the series finale i thought the first hour was great. It was a retrospective, so it was cool to go back and see some of the highlights from 15 episodes and see some of the interviews with the cast and the show's creators. The final episode itself, I was a little underwhelmed, but only because for years I had this idea for an, for the final shot of the series, having defeated the big final bad guy, whoever that big bad guy is. The brothers would then talk about whether or not it's time to hang it up and try to live normal lives. But then they find themselves in the midst of another monster hunt where they realize even though the apocalypse has been averted once more, they still have work to do. They're the Winchesters, damn it. So with their backs against the wall, they look at each other and they share this line. Saving
1: people, hunting things, the family business.
0: And then they both look at the camera and point their guns and fire and the Supernatural logo appears on screen as we go out to some Kansas, and that's the end of the series. So that was what I was hoping to see, but I, it's not what I ended up seeing. And I didn't hate the ending. It was actually a fitting ending. It was thoughtful, it was peaceful, it was bittersweet, it was sad, it was happy, etc. Uh, it was just different than what I had imagined. But I'm just so thankful that I started watching the show. It was often silly. It had some bad seasons, like some terrible overarching storylines. The characters were often frustrating. You know, Dean in particular, he would go through these waves where he would start every episode grumpy and angry at the whole world and then he'd come around at the end and he and Sam would make up and then they would just repeat the same cycle the next episode. It just got to be so repetitive and quite frankly, just lazy writing. But at its core, even though they fight ghosts and ghouls and monsters and vampires and werewolves and demons and gods and the devil and even God himself, this show was always about family and it never strayed from that central scene. And that's why it continued to resonate for fifteen years. And that's why it's small but entirely devoted fan base followed the show to whichever time slot it landed in. And it's why the CW was prepared to let that show go on forever. So I'm glad it's finally, in a way, I'm glad it's finally come to an end. I think they went out on a high note. And now Padalecki is going to be in a new show on the CW, Walker. They're bringing back the Texas Ranger. So that's kind of neat. And uh, Jensen Ackles is going to be in season three of The Boys on Prime. So looking forward to seeing their next adventures. Although I'm going to call it, uh, I'm going to call an early cancellation, I think, for Walker. (laughs) Uh, is he going to be like the grandson of
1: Chuck Norris or
0: something? I don't know. I haven't even looked oh at God. it. Yeah,
1: that's awesome.
0: But uh, Have you ever seen
1: uh, <laughs> if go to YouTube and type in Walker, Texas Ranger, Haley, Joel Osment and just watch whatever it throws up at you. He He, had, he was in one episode and it's just insane. Uh, Conan O'Brien used to play clips of it all the time is really funny so we'll see if there's any of that in this new
0: iteration of Walker I think that actually starts up next month on the or in January on the CW I also just wanted to quickly revisit this show because I mentioned it a few times in recent months I previewed it and then gave an initial review but I only watched the first episode and then it just ended up piling up in my PVR just because I was binging other stuff and i ended up stuck on the crown for three weeks and now the queen's gambit but it's a a global television show and it's called departure you're saying somebody on board wanted that aircraft to disappear why did you leak this
1: Terrorism is the public's worst fear. who
0: want to start a bloody war. Assad. Pleasure to meet you both.
1: People want a great lens to
0: come wrong. Aviation is the only industry where a man with a box cutter could put a halt on billions in revenue. Bartok. You made millions off of Flight 716 going down. Loyalties can change, Harry. I screwed up. They're after me. Who's after me? We can't rule out any possibility at this time. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy ride down. It's a Canadian-British co-production, six-part It follows the investigation into the shocking disappearance of a passenger plane over the Atlantic. Its primary stars are Archie Punjabi, as well as Canadian legend Christopher Plummer, and a whole bunch of I-know-that-person actors that you've seen in movies and TV shows all over the place. So I would recommend... This show, if you haven't watched it, so you should be able to watch it on demand through your PVR, or you can get it from the Global TV app, because like I said, it's only six episodes. And it is, once I got going again, I was hooked on this. It's so compelling. It's twisty. It's got lots of uh, uh, thrills in it. You know, it's sort of lots of spy kind of stuff. And and uh, it's sort of a, a whodunit, right? It's because, I mean, there is uh, murder of course, as part of this, like a mass murder, and uh, I just really, really dug this show. It was a solid mystery, and the way that it played out, it also, I think, sort of captured bigger themes that are out there, like the, the way that the corporate greed gets in the way of human life, so I think that the way that they eventually revealed how it happened was a nice gut punch, and the twist never really stopped, like, right even up to the last moment of the series. So highly recommended departure global. Well done. Glad it finally made it here. Cause it played, it already aired in Europe like earlier this year or last year. or So they got it. They got first dibs at it way before we finally got our hands on it here in Canada in a moment. Oh, big news this week regarding One of the biggest game shows of all time. Jeff's got details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a Jeopardy record holder will be the first in a series of interim hosts to replace Alex Trebek when the show resumes production this week. New episodes of the TV quiz show Jeopardy! will start taping next week, the first to film after the death of longtime host Alex Trebek. The show announcing that Jeopardy! super champ Ken Jennings will be the first in a series of interim guest hosts. We'll get more names at a later date. Show producer Mike
0: Richards says that Trebek always wanted the show to go on without him, and they'll honor his legacy by continuing
1: to produce the game he loved. Alex Trebek died two weeks ago of cancer at the age of 80. Jason Athenson, ABC News, Hollywood. Bump. So Ken Jennings is up first for the tr- hosting tryouts, and of course, you didn't have to be a brainiac like Ken Jennings to see that one coming. He is the natural choice as the game's far and away greatest player of all time. He literally won the greatest of all time tournament last season. Now, will he be a good host? That is another story altogether. He's obviously smart enough. No need to explore that any further. He's a very personable guy. He's kind and charming, quick-witted, and funny. I followed him on Twitter for years. He's also a regular guest on a movie trivia podcast I Listen to Doug Love Movies, and he's a he's a nice guy, he's an interesting guy. There's nothing that stands out about him that would make you think, oh wow, I bet everyone will hate that. Ken Jennings also obviously loves Jeopardy and holds the game in the highest regard. That is something you definitely want from a host, and he has that. Now, what is sort of in danger of being overlooked, I think, is the voice. There are 61 questions to be read aloud in each Jeopardy match. The host reading the questions is by far the thing that happens the most in each episode. Trebek had the perfect voice. It was very smooth, silky, deepish, but also commanding and sharp. It was like music to your ears, but it didn't put you to sleep. Ken Jennings has kind of a reedy voice that's much thinner than Trebek's. He can also talk too fast at times, but that's something he can also learn to control, and even after time, his voice could maybe change a little. I don't know. Maybe that's something entirely under his control if you really felt like doing something about it. But for now, I would say the only real knock against him is that there will be you know, a potentially garish difference in his voice from Trebek's. Now that of course, in a macro sense is the problem. Whomever becomes permanent host simply will not be Alex Trebek and will be compared to Trebek. And in this day and age, that cannot really go well for that person because instant reactions are almost always negative in a situation like that. People are quick to dump on stuff without giving it a chance now more than ever. I can only hope that the Jeopardy, you know, folks, the producers over there drown out all the noise when it does happen. And they, you know, stand by their choice and give it a chance because it will probably work. Everyone was aghast, you know, that The Price is Right chose Drew Carey as the host to replace Bob Barker because he was so different, but it's worked out well and Drew Carey does a tremendous job on that show. Jeopardy's a different monster, but there's no reason why they cannot find another great host that isn't Alex Trebek. I don't think they should go with a comedian like The Price is Right did though Jeopardy is a very tight show not a lot of room for jokes so a comedian won't really be able to make their mark in that way anyway the worst thing you could do on um to the contestants on Jeopardy is slow their flow and break the rhythm of the game with jokes and Jeopardy contestants kind of famously don't have a sense of humor anyways although I do imagine a lot of comedians could pivot to game show hosting in general pretty easily and it might get me to watch the portion of the show where they talk to the contestants which is usually super awkward and I always fast forward through it. Drew Carey works on The prices, Right because that show is you know mostly about controlling contestants who are far too excitable and a guy that's handled hecklers for 30 years is a good choice for that that so it'll be interesting to see uh ken jennings take over jeopardy those episodes will begin in the new year i believe because trebek's final episodes are continuing now and the last one is slated to air on christmas day and uh that's what's going on with jeopardy uh now and into the new year
0: all right well i i think it's great or it's a great choice to have ken jennings on and i think he's anybody who knows that show knows who ken Jennings is jennings is and yeah, it's hard sure. not to to respect the guy who won like seventy four mat or games in a row, uh, so he seems like the the right choice for that. And your, your great point on the comedians because we do see a lot of comedians hosting these primetime game shows, and in those situations, there they'd be good. But in this one, I think it would just be so out of place if they came had somebody come out and try to be this like party host.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, calling bingo. Do you ever know anybody that? Uh like took up a gig calling bingo somewhere like the people that play bingo will turn on you so fast if you don't do it properly and that is to read the numbers loud and clear and keep the pace up don't be too fast don't be too slow you got to be just right uh, the thing my grandma used to complain about the most was uh whoever was new calling bingo was no good at it now upset it made her so uh being jeopardy host is it's the same thing That's what they should do: is comb the country for the ten best bingo callers and make them (laughs) audition for Jeopardy. That would be so. I think that would be so stressful, (laughs) uh, doing bingo. We actually uh, have a
0: mutual friend and colleague who hosts uh, televised bingo every week, and you have to, you know, hold your hand still, and you have to. Uh, call the numbers at just the right pace, and then sometimes if, if the game ends too early, then you gotta fill five to ten minutes just talking about bingo. Nope, I couldn't do it. Could not do it. Yep. I and as well, i I think that my my first job may have been in a bingo hall when I was like twelve or thirteen i was I was brought in just to help clean up during right. the the games, and I think they'd paid me, I don't know five bucks or whatever for the night. But uh, those bingo players were intense. Like, they took their stuff seriously. They'd come out with, like, 17 cards and seven or eight dabbers, and they'd be all lined up one after the other. Yeah, man, don't mess with bingo players. (laughs) They're crazy. Hey, by the way, we mentioned the Christmas Chronicles at the start. Just looking at what's coming to Crave this weekend, it is, there's, like, over fifty movies here. Most of them are Christmas movies. A Christmas Carol, I see. It's a wonderful life. Um there's uh Fred Claus, I think that was the uh Vince Vaughn again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Vince Vaughn, Die Hard Christmas and Die Hard Two, guy, yeah. Love Actually, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Uh the list goes on. Lots of Christmas stuff available. On Crave as of this weekend So if you're looking for a Christmas movie There's a chance you'll find a good one on Crave Like Gremlins Yes, that's a Christmas movie And someone pointed out to me the other day Rocky IV is also technically, I guess, a Christmas movie Because he fights Ivan Drago on Christmas Day in Russia So Works for me I'll take it I just watched that movie the other day I still love it Terrible movie, (laughs) but I love it That's all the time we've got I'm Brett, he's Jeff We are the Couch Potatoes Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on the radio. And if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.